The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're a little bit late this morning and it's all my fault, uh, but so thrilled to be here with you and to be here with you live. Today is Monday. It is October. I always have to check the date. It's Monday, October 18th, which means I got to wish a big happy birthday to an old friend of mine, Mark Cole. Uh, I have to remember to call him today. Uh, but in any case, so thrilled to be here with you guys. It's 2021. Uh, do we live in interesting times or do we live in interesting times? So <laughs> I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. We got a lot to cover and a lot that we want to do, but I got to start with talking about our new opening. Uh, you know, do I miss the old opening a little bit, but we did that for 10 years. It's time to move on. And Autism Live has moved on. We're really grateful uh, to the Center for Autism and Related Disorders for giving us our wings. We are flying solo now. <laughs> Excuse me. I got emotional for a second. <laughs> Excuse me. So um, Autism Live is now a part of the Autism Network. And we're so excited about some of the things that we, there's a lot of machinery going, um, things that we've got planned, things that are coming up, including uh, a new format that's going to come. So on Mondays, starting soon, probably in another month, you're going to see a lot less of me on Mondays. And I'm very excited. As you should me, I'm not going away. But uh, on Mondays, I think it's going to be on Mondays, we're, we're starting a new uh, podcast uh, that's called Stories from the Spectrum. And it will be entirely people who are on the autism spectrum telling their stories, uh, doing their own work in their own words, producing their own segments. We're really excited about that. And if you want to know more about that, please feel free to write to me because we're, we're not saying a whole lot about it. But um, I, you know, we're, we're amassing our information as they say, but I'm excited about that because that's something that we need to be doing here. Uh, we've always done that to the degree that we could, but I'm really excited that we're going to be moving forward and creating a space that is just for people that are hashtag actually autistic to be able to say what they want to say in the way that they want to say it, um, producing their own stuff and helping to give them, uh, support uh, technically and um, in terms of this platform, but not monitoring them or what they do, right? So, um, but but also giving them real life skills because our hope is that um, in some cases this, we will be doing some internships with people to help them to be able to know, um, to learn social media and things that learn editing, things of that nature so that hopefully they can take their stories and perhaps move on to other venues with them and, uh, you know, make that their lifelong passion and employment, because that's a big deal. You know, my old friend, Joanne Laura, uh, who used to say always, everybody deserves a J-O-B because a J-O-B is the seat at the table and everybody deserves that. So uh, we're looking forward to that. But in the meantime, until we get that all up and running, you're still going to see me on Mondays and happy to be here with you guys. So let's talk a little bit. We're going to be live um, for the next hour. We want to hear from you right now. If you have thoughts, feelings, questions, concerns, if you just want to give me a shout out and say, hey, and tell me where you're writing in from. Oh, I love that a couple of people are writing in and saying, thank you for the talk 
tickets. It was amazing and so informative. If you were one of the recipients, in the end, I think uh, we sent 50 people. Uh, several people are writing in and saying that they were able to attend the TACA. The TACA conference is the TACA stands for the Autism Community in Action. Uh, and they had their conference, virtual conference this last weekend. Although if you missed it, that you still, if you had a ticket, you still can, I have to admit, I didn't have any time this weekend, but I'm excited to watch a couple of talks uh, and watch them recorded. But for those of you who did attend any talks today, if I would love to hear from you, like give me one tidbit, one thing that you learned or that you walked away with that was super exciting that you wish you had a platform to talk about because you do right here, right now. Uh, so write in and tell us uh, what what you got out of the the um, the conference. I love that Autism Aware says autism is is not genetic. Um, I, I think you know. Um, I th- you know I just have had this conversation so many times in the last couple of weeks that somebody asked me they were like you know what what do you think uh, autism is and what do you think causes it and I said oh I'm much more interested in knowing what you think because here's the deal I've been interviewing people about autism now for 16 years and and I'm at the place where I just think we all need to admit that if anybody's a hundred percent positive about anything that I, I don't I don't I. I don't know where they're coming from about uh, being a hundred percent positive about anything. I think um, we do know scientifically that there are some instances, some instances where genetics plays a role, but certainly not in all of them. It's not across the board. You know, there've been a lot of people who have recently been talking about years ago, people were asked to submit uh, information for a test to, to be tested, to see if they could see a genetic link. And some of them, got information back saying, yes, you you are positive for this gene, which has been associated with autism. But a lot of people were told, no, there's no genetic content here. So, um, you know, it just goes to show it's a spectrum, right? And that not everybody's story is going to be the same as anybody else's story. Um, Okay, Uh, let me take care of a little bit of business and then I'll go through these comments one by one. So if you're watching us live right now, you're probably watching us on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter. Uh, We are also live on about 14 other sites and we love being where you guys need us to be. So if there's a platform that has live or podcasted videos and you don't see us there, would you please let us know? Because we'd like to be any place where people want to get free information. Um, But right now, Traven is showing you a bunch of the different places that we are live and how you can access them. Our, um, Our mission here is to provide information and inspiration to the larger autism community, which starts of course, with people on the spectrum, but we also include everyone who loves those individuals, everyone who wants those individuals, like as we all should, wants those individuals to have the rights and the abilities um, to make their own choices and to do what they want in life. I, I, a little bit later on, I, I, you know, I've got something on my heart that I really want to talk about, but this is really at the heart of all of it, right? Is that there are a bunch of people who love individuals on the spectrum and and we want for them to be happy. And that's going to look different for everybody. So, um, you know, we're not all going to agree on anything (laughs) except maybe this, that individuals on the spectrum have, have rights and, and that we should be, and, and that sometimes what they need is different than maybe what those of us who aren't on the spectrum can even realize. And we have to be open to that. 
we have to be willing to hear and listen and say, what do you need? Right. Um, so we're going to talk about all that uh, 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 in a little bit. But um, but that's really who we're talking to here. Individuals on the spectrum and people who love individuals on the spectrum. That's what we're here for. We want to be a free resource for you. If you have questions, thoughts, concerns, I always tell people I am not an expert in autism. I'm just not. I'm never going to be an expert in autism. I'm a parent. I love my kid. I love every single hair on his head. And um, I, I adore the ground that he walks on. That's the truth. That's just the truth. And um, but I, of course, I mean, I get goosebumps thinking about, it. of course, as a, a mom who loves her son, I want for him to have every opportunity in this life. And um, when he was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half, I had a lot of people telling me a lot of stories about how that was not going to happen. And there was a part of me that just said, I, 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 I'm not accepting that. Um, we're, you know, we're, we're on a journey and we're going to see what happens. And I'm so over the moon at how amazing my son, his life is. Um, and there are times when it isn't. And we are, can I be honest that the times when his life isn't wonderful has nothing to do with him and nothing to do with his diagnosis. It has everything to do with everybody else in the world. Right. Um, so, you know, we're working really hard to overcome those things too. How do we change public opinion? How do we make people more, uh, intelligent? Cause it's not even just about awareness anymore. It's about intelligence awareness, right. You know, um, being empathetic, not for people on the autism spectrum. I'm so sick and tired of hearing about how people on the spectrum aren't empathetic. I reject that out of hand. I reject that. Uh, you know, are there times when people on the spectrum don't pick up a social cue that maybe, you know, those of us who aren't on the spectrum pick up? Yes, that's true. But that doesn't make you not empathetic. That means that you missed the cue. But once once they understand the cue, oh, people on the spectrum are are, are more empathetic than the rest of us put together. So I, I'm just calling on that. No more of that. We're not listening to that, <clears throat> right? <laughs> on that. Anyway, uh, so anyway, this is this is why we're here. This is why I'm here. Don't confuse me with an expert, but do confuse me with someone who cares deeply about helping you to get to what you need. And sometimes. Most of the time, that means when you guys write in something, I say, oh, well, let's ask so-and-so. Um, occasionally, you know, I may know something about something, but that's so rare. <laughs> so rare. I just know somebody who knows something about it. That's my bailiwick here. Uh, okay. Uh, so we encourage you. We are a free podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, we, we like to be there and be a free podcast. We don't charge for anything, um, but how we keep the lights on is when you guys watch the videos and you tell other people about it. That's how we keep the lights on. So I do encourage you to please spread the word about us, tell other people, use us for whatever way that suits you, but then tell somebody else. I prefer it if you tell five people, but if you only have time to tell one person that helps, uh, it's just information. And for each and every one of us, I got, now I got a tickle in my throat. <laughs> For each and every one of us, if you think about it, there was a day when we didn't know what, something that we know now and somebody told us. So we just pay it forward, pay it forward. You know what I say? We get there together. We hold hands. Si se puede. I spoke at a conference on Friday and I was so excited at the end. Somebody wrote in and said, si se puede. And I was like, oh, you watched the show. Um, not that we're the only people who say si se puede for heaven's sake, but... 
Uh, people know that, you know, you know, I love that phrase because we can. Yes, we can. Uh, okay, quickly, I'm saying good morning to Sarah and uh, to Amanda and to Autism Aware 417. Uh, and Sarah says, Shannon, quick question for you. My twins are 2.4 years. We're doing intensive ABA therapy. Are there any genetic testing or medical tests I should be looking into? And I don't want to regret anything. And I think that's where the comment came about, not genetic, but it is in some cases. So, um, you know, here's the thing you can go back and forth on this and there is, a micro array that you can do. There are many companies that do this now where you can get tested to find out if there is a genetic component. I would tell you that I I don't know what the actual statistics are, but I think far and away, the tests come back and people go, there's nothing there. Uh, far and away, that is but if you think about it, that's all medical things. You know, you go and you get a blood test. How many times have you had a blood test that it came back and there was nothing remarkable, right? But you still do it. Why? You do it because in case something is off, it's going to be a trigger to go do more things. Same thing with genetic testing. I, I think that the vast majority of people who have done it is, is for a gut check for stomach to feel like, okay, we left no stone unturned. Um, because there have, I, I want to say that of the thousands of autism parents that I know, I can only think of about a handful of parents that the genetic testing came back and said, yes, there, there is some stuff here that you need to know. And you know what? It was important stuff that was like life-changing stuff that it was when we know that there is a genetic component in some cases, now some cases like, oh, well, isn't that interesting? Now we know, you know, it's this and there's nothing yet to do yet. Notice I said the word yet. Um, but in other cases, like when we find out that it is fragile X and not just autism, it's fragile X, there are considerations that we need to do now medically to help that person to live longer and, and happier and more productive. There are actual, you know, supplements and things that we would put this person on to help them to prevent, because we know that that genetic component comes with some other medical issues that show up later on in life, but that we can head off at the pass. So <clears throat> it's a little expensive to do the microarray, um, but if you, you know, it's one of those things that um, it, more than likely you're going to go, okay, well, I spent that money and all I got from it was peace of mind. Uh, that's not a small thing, um, but if, if there is information in there that you need to know, I don't, I don't think uh, it's, it's invaluable it's invaluable. I don't think you'd be sorry. So that is my two cents about that. But more than likely, it's going to come back and you're going to go, all right, well, that's a nothing burger. Um, but there you go. Uh, want, want to know if there are any deficiencies um, I need supplements for. So those of you who went to the Taka conference, uh, I hope you had an opportunity. One of the first talks I'm going to watch when I get time to watch them is Dr. David Berger who is out of Florida. I've never been in the same room with Dr. David Berger, but I adore the ground that he walks on. And we've had him on the show several times. You can search our playlists on YouTube and just put in Dr. Berger, or see what he says about pandas or see what he says about MTHFR, right? Those are two topics I know you can search and you'll come up with his videos. He's just a big old teddy bear and he's one of the nicest people on the face of the planet. And so many moms over the years, he's a MAPS doctor. And, um, 
of the highest caliber. And so many moms went to him with their kiddos and felt so comfortable with him that they started saying, gosh, I wish you were my doctor. Dr. Berger, I wish you were my doctor because I have like this thing and I don't know. And just this morning, uh, one of my favorite autism moms was writing in and saying how she's having dizzy spells because the little rocks in her ears are a little bit off. And she made the offhand comment. She goes, oh, you know, it happens to me twice a year. And I went, really? Because it happens to me twice a year too. I have the same thing and I'll get the dizzies. And it's usually in the spring and in the fall. And I wrote to her and I said, you know, I've started to think it's allergy related, that it's seasonal because it's spring and the fall and it's more wet and allergies and mold. And I know I have a mold allergy. And I'm interested to hear back because, you know, I'm wondering if there is a, you know, it's just two women and, and that we have this in common, but we're also two moms of boys on the spectrum. I want to know, like, are there more moms out there that are having this? And in the spring and the fall, you have like four days when you're so dizzy, you can't drive a car because uh, it's not fun. Um, so anyway, um, Dr. Berger's parents were starting to say, you know, well, I have this and my kid has this. And, and another mom would go, I have this. And he would say, okay, well, how about... We tested your kid's blood to see what the deficiencies it let's test yours as well. So he's got a pile of research that is absolutely, I think some of the most exciting stuff that there is out there. Um, because he found that if he adjusted a supplement here, different for everybody, no, like, oh, here's the protocol different for everybody. Got to test the blood that he found the kiddos made more progress. The moms got healthier and so on and so forth. So yeah, sometimes there are deficiencies and it's worthwhile to know. I don't know that doing the microarray is going to help you with that. I would, I would send you to a MAPS doctor like Dr. Berger, do the blood test, see what comes back and, and adjust blood levels. We know, for instance, that getting our kiddos to the point where their vitamin A and their vitamin D are at the right level, super important super important for their long-term health. Um, Sarah says, love your energy, love your positivity, shining hope everywhere. Trust me, you make so much difference on that. So sweet, Sarah. Uh, you know, I store energy just to be here with you guys because I don't drink any caffeine. I can't. Um, it makes my heart pitter patter. Uh, and I don't, I'm allergic to chocolate. I know. Feel bad for me, but can you imagine I'm a large woman. If I were, if I were not allergic to chocolate, we would be in trouble, right? Uh, we're already in trouble, but uh, yeah. So I store energy the rest of the day. I'm really tired after this. <laughs> Just keep it a real. Just keeping it real, keeping it honest. Uh, anyway, you guys haven't written in and told me what was the thing that you really, really loved about the amazing uh, Taka conference. I want to know. Used to be that when I couldn't go to conferences and I first had a radio show and I, I couldn't go to a conference, my kid was having intervention. I couldn't get to a conference and there was no virtual. So what I would do is I would find like five moms who were going to the conference and then I would do a phone call on the radio show with them and be like, so what'd you find out? And, and each one would tell us something that they learned at the conference, life-changing for me. And it was like I had gone to the conference. So share, if you went to the conference and learned anything, we want to know what it is. Uh, okay, so we've got a great show for you today. A lot, and as I said, I got something in my heart that I want to talk about. But uh, first, let's, let's go to the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word. One phrase, one acronym, we try to figure out what in the hey, nani, nani, are those experts talking about? Why should we care? What does this have to do with us? 
I love this because, uh, Traven, it looks like something that somebody just spray painted on a wall and it's like gang related DRA, you know, uh, or is that a sorority that people belong to? Right. But it looks a little drippy. It looks like somebody spray painted it on the wall. Um, okay. This is one of those jargon terms that still makes me want to hit my head on the, the desk. Uh, cause I get a little, there's DRO and there's DRA and gosh, there's, it's still hard for me. Um, so let's take a look, let's work through it together and know that, you know, I'm this many years into autism and not being a hundred percent sure whether it's DRA or DRO, I've survived. I understand the concept of them. I just get them confused with each other from time to time. So DRA, first we give you the actual definition, then we're going to make fun of it. Then we're going to see if we can't sort it out. DRA, a procedure. Oh, it sounds like a medical thing, right? It's not. A procedure for decreasing problem behavior in which reinforcement is delivered for a behavior that serves as a desirable alternative to the behavior targeted for reduction and withheld following instances of problem behavior. And, and here, you know, I'm glad that we referenced where it came from. Cooper, Heron and Hayward, uh, 2007. If you ever want to get the tome that like I can't make heads or tails of, but that defines all of this stuff for you, this is the book. This is the book that the BCBA, and it's, it's a tome. It's this heavy, it's a doorstop. That's what it is. Um, so Cooper, Heron, and Hayward, 2007 edition, uh, a procedure for decreasing problem behavior. All right. We want to decrease problem behavior. Sure, sure, sure. In which reinforcement is delivered for behavior that serves as a desirable alternative to the behavior targeted for reduction and withheld following instances. I can sort of get it. And then it goes off the rails for me. So let's, let's, let's push this into the ocean, just slide it right into the ocean and let it, let it leave our minds entirely. Let's see if this is any better. DRA is a type of intervention. So now it doesn't sound like anybody's being cut open on an operating table. I like it better already. Uh, used to reduce challenging behavior. Okay. Well, we all want to reduce challenging behavior in ourselves and in the people that we love, right? Or the people we work with, right? A more appropriate behavior is identified. Reinforcement is given when the more appropriate behavior is used or observed. Functional communication, for instance, is one type of DRA intervention. So, all right, I, we're a little bit closer here. So we've got a challenging behavior and one intervention for it is that we find an alternative behavior. So we talk about all the time, and that's what this is, differential, DRA stands for differential reinforcement of alternative behavior. Doesn't your life feel richer for knowing that? Differential reinforcement for alternative behavior, of alternative behavior. So we got a challenging behavior. Somebody is doing something. And before we knew what we know now, you know, people would panic and go, what is that behavior? It's odd. It's weird. It's no, it's not at all. It's communication and it's individual to the person and it has a function. Your kiddo, you, me, everybody is doing is engaging in behavior and chains of behavior all the time, all day for a reason. Nothing is random. I mean, I'm talking and using my hands. That's a behavior. There's a reason for it. When we see people who talk with their hands, there's, you know, and there are many, could be many different reasons about it. I could be talking with my hands to get your attention, right? Or it could be that it, it feels good to me on the inside, right? Um, or it could be that I'm having trouble expressing myself and I'm getting a little bit stuck and that the hands help get me unjammed, right? 
Could be for lots of different reasons. But if for some reason the, the, the me talking with my hands was not functional, um, that it was getting in the way of the thing that I wanted to do. Let's say that I got to go to a thing today and I'm supposed to be as still as possible for a medical procedure, right? Then talking with my hands would be a liability, right? It may be just for one day, but, um, but there are all kinds of things that we all have things that we want to do. And then there's behavior that we do that gets in the way of it. All of us. That's everybody. It also happens to be folks on the spectrum that sometimes there'll be something that they want, um, but a behavior that they're doing for a reason, the behavior is for a reason, gets in the way of the thing they want. I really want us to be thinking about changing challenging behavior in that light. Because a lot of times people will say, oh, well, you just want to change people on the spectrum to be more like it's ableism. You want them to be more like you and the person next to you. No. I mean, I think it can be that way for some people, but that's not what I'm interested in. I don't know about you guys. Um, I know about you guys. You, 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 you don't want that, right? What you want is for the person on the spectrum to be able to do what they want to do. And that when kids are little, there's a certain amount of uh, stuff that you want to, information that you want to give them and skills that you want to give them so that they have the ability to choose what they want to do. Because when you don't even know enough about the world, you don't, you don't know what there is to choose, right? So when we see a behavior that's a challenging behavior and we want to intervene, let's start with, uh, let's, let's take the whole thing of rocking, right? Because uh, we all rock to some extent. And we need to get to a point where rocking is more normalized. Uh, listen, rocking chairs have been around long before my great-great-grandmother, right? And, and hopefully we all rocked our babies. There's things about rocking that are really soothing. And um, for a lot of mm, neurotypical, I hate that term, um, people, what happens is that we rock until a certain age and then we find other things, alternative behaviors that give us the same thing because there's times in your life when rocking won't work. Um, when it gets in the way of the thing that you want to do. But for people on the spectrum, sometimes they have not found another outlet that is as useful for them to accomplish the same mission. So um, when you think about it, think about any profession and, and the, the sort of mannerisms of it. Like I'm thinking about bowlers and when bowlers bowl, they have this whole ritual and it's all different for each person, but there's a ritual. If you watch bowlers on TV, which is like watching paint dry. Right. So I look at the behavior and there's a whole thing where they play with their gloves. Right. And they blow on their hands and they, you know, will do things with their, with their hands and they run them over the fan and, and, and they, you know, there's, there's a whole thing. There's a whole dance, it's all behavior. And, you know, we could talk endlessly about what's the, the, the befunction, what's the function of the behavior. I like the function though. Uh, what's the function of the behavior? Some of it is I'm sure to calm them. Some of it is ritual because I, you know, I do the same thing over and over again and I have success, right? that there's a lot of that in sport and in life, right? Uh, many different reasons. But if some of the behavior that they were doing prevented them from actually getting to the point where they stuck their fingers in the ball and threw it down the, the lane, 
we would need to adjust it. So um, if rocking is happening and it's preventing the person from, for instance, being able to play the violin, I'm sure that there are some people who can rock and play the violin, but it's infinitely harder, right? So if someone on the spectrum says, I really want to be able to play the violin, um, but I need it, or I need, I want to be able to paint. And I think it's amazing when you watch people on the spectrum and, and they might be rocking, 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 but if they're a painter and you hand them a paintbrush, the rocking doesn't serve the painting. And so they stop and they will paint and the rocking goes away until they're done. And then they'll rock again. Uh, some people have a harder time of that though, turning it off. So if we have a behavior that's a challenging behavior that somebody's engaging in, it doesn't have to be a sensory behavior, it could be any behavior. Um, what we need to do is figure out the, the, the function, the function of the behavior. What's the paycheck for the behavior? And once we figure that out, then we go, is there any other way that we could get this paid that, than this behavior? Do we have options? Because it might be that we have six other ways that that can, that paycheck can be given to the individual that doesn't prevent them from doing the thing that they want to do. That's DRA. Because now what we're going to do is we're going to teach that alternative behavior and we're going to reward the hey, nani, nani out of it. So not only will they get the paycheck from it that feeds whatever caused the behavior to begin with, but we're going to put reinforcement on top of it. So it's more attractive to do this alternative one. And now what we've done at the end of the day is we've given that person options. Now, this is where it gets sticky for me because you guys, a lot of times you guys will say, you know, well, what's the difference between really good quality ABA and the schlocky bad ABA that has the bad reputation? Well, this is one of the things, because if we're truly doing DRA, then all we are doing is reinforcing a new behavior that feeds the paycheck that the person gives. We are not punishing the old behavior. We're not. In fact, we give it an absolute non-reaction. So, you know, we might redirect when the person is doing that behavior in an instance where it's getting in the way. And, and then what we would do is redirect them to the alternative behavior and give them praise but we're not punishing the old behavior. We're not talking about it. We're not removing anything. It Like we're taking all of the focus off of the behavior that was the challenging behavior and, and going, we're not even going to discuss that, right? So it shouldn't be a thing of, I'm going to reward you for doing this behavior and I'm going to punish you for doing that behavior. No, no. In fact, the studies have shown that when we give you an alternative and we praise it and we give you whatever reinforcement is exciting to you personally, that the other behavior is less attractive. We don't have to discuss it. We don't have to punish it. That's not even effective. So this is what I love about good quality ABA because there's nothing wrong with teaching a skill. There's nothing wrong with rewarding a new skill and giving somebody a choice. If you talk to, by the way, we're having Dr. Temple Grandin on the show on Friday and we're taking questions right now for her, write in to me what question you want to ask Temple. We won't take any live questions. We're only taking the pre questions, right? Uh, hi, Tajist. I did. I, I think I changed the pronunciation of how I said that. Um, so sorry, but so the thing for me is give somebody a choice. 
But the reason why I brought up Temple Grandin is that Temple Grandin was taught other skills. So she had choices of if she was going to engage in a behavior, she loved to spin that plate on her bed. And her mom didn't say to her, you can never spin the plate on the, on the bed anymore, but she gave her other things to do and said, you can go spin the plate on your bed an hour a day, but but you're also going to go muck the stalls. And she reinforced her for mucking the stalls. Right. Um, and gave her and said, I want you to draw horses. Right. Which, cause she knew the temple loved to draw. Well, you can't draw while you're spinning a plate on the bed. So she didn't punish the spinning the plate on the bed. Um, but she reinforced other behavior. That's D R A. So isn't that exciting? Uh, so, <laughs> there we go. DRA, differential reinforcement of alternative behavior, taking a challenging behavior, you see what the function of it is, you find something else that fills the function, you teach that skill and you reinforce that skill heavily because then the person will want to do that. Why, if, if I get the same paycheck, if I'm going in and doing a job and I get a paycheck for it and you say to me, I want you to do this instead and I'm going to pay you more for it. What do you think I'm going to go to work and do tomorrow? I'm going to do the one where you paid me more. I'm going to because why not? I got my paycheck. All right, moving on to our question of the day. Our question for you today is, bum, bada, bum. who can you count 100% on? In your life, Who's there a hundred percent? And this is a little bit of a trick question because I, you know, it's hard to know. I, I, I sort of like, um, I want to go, who can you count on 98% of the time? Uh, but the truth is I, you know, if I were going to say for me, um, I, I would be most comfortable answering this question by saying me, that I can count on me a hundred percent of the time. Um, because first of all, that builds me up because sometimes I'm like, oh, I can't do it. And I need to be reminded, well, yeah, you can. Yep, you can, Shannon. You may not know that you can yet, but you can. Um, but I think it's also important to realize that, as my grandmother said, you come into this world alone, you leave alone. And if you meet some good people along the way, you're doing really good. Um, I absolutely adore my husband and my my kiddo, but I would never put the responsibility on them to be a hundred percent because they got their own stories to lead. Right. Uh, so it's a tricky one, but, uh, for you, who can you a hundred percent count on? And maybe who can you like, cause I know I can count on my husband. I know that I can. And I now know that I can count on my kiddo. Um, and, and I have a bunch of friends that if I said, I need you now, man, I know they'd be there in a heartbeat. How lucky am I? Right. But I would never expect somebody to be there a hundred percent of the time because nobody can be. Um, but what about you guys? Who can you count on? And have you thanked the people that you can count on? Give them that reinforcer and let them know, you know, somebody asked me this question today and my first thought was you. What a great thing for people to know that they can be counted on. Really remarkable. All right. Our topic for this entire week here at Autism Live is uh, when it feels like you can't go on. Because um, I think that uh, everybody's going to feel this way at some point, somewhere in their life. And it could be a fleeting thing, or it could be a thing that, that a feeling that comes and lives. And um, I, I want you guys to know that tomorrow night, um, once a month, the Ed Asner Center does something called Ed Talks. 
And instead of a TED talk, it's an Ed talk because of Ed Asner. And they do it once a month. And uh, tomorrow night, Nancy Allsbaugh Jackson and I are the guests on the Ed talk because this month is Mental Health Awareness Month. And um, they invited us to come on and talk. And uh, if you haven't seen, Nancy's been doing some promos for it, that um, both Nancy and I are pretty open books about the fact that we have had our own struggles. And we're going to be talking about them tomorrow night. It starts at 5 p.m. Pacific time. And you can go to the Ed Asner Family Center and be able to watch that at 5 p.m. Pacific. So that's 8 p.m. Eastern. And you guys know how to do the math. Um, because both Nancy and I have had moments where a lot of different moments where we felt like uh, we weren't up to the challenges. And our struggles were different and the same in some ways. So you tune in. Um, cause they're also, they've got some counselors that are going to be there as well. And, um, Nancy and I are just going to be honest about our stuff. I think both of us have been incredibly honest, um, all the time, but, um, you know, we'll take questions too, but you guys can write in and talk to the, I, I believe there's two therapists that are going to be on the panel. Um, I'm a big fan of getting support having a receptacle to put all of the things that are not attractive. And I need to say this, this is the thing that's on my heart that, um, you know, a lot of times as parents of individuals who are on the spectrum, we will talk. And I certainly say, you know, this is a hard job. This is a very hard job, but I need to make sure that when I say that, that I say the following disclaimer that almost never is the hard thing. Uh, you know, I mean, I think there's a certain amount of parenting anyway, that's just hard. Right. But when I say that being an autism parent is hard across the board, it's almost never about our kiddo. That's hard. It's everything else that really, you know, I loved that years ago, they sent out a big survey. I think it was the Ian project put, sent out a big survey and said to parents, what's the hardest thing about being a parent of someone who's on the spectrum? And overwhelmingly, what we all said was, it's so hard mentally having to fight for the services to help your child that they make it like a freaking treasure hunt. And, and like, you got to be in the right lane to know the right thing because otherwise nobody's going to tell you, which is, it's like this strange, bizarre test. And, and I don't know about you guys, but I just always felt like I was failing it. And it's part and parcel of why we do the show, because I was like, listen, if I've, if, if anything I've learned can help somebody else feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. And, oh, I didn't know that. And that helps me amazing. Cause now I know which line to get in to wait for which service. And, oh my gosh, there's somebody who will pay for that. Um, you know, I was just always like, what am I missing? And I wasn't wrong. There was stuff that I missed. There was stuff that if had I known would have helped us so much financially, which would have lowered my stress so much. So this feeling of being on this crazy treasure hunt of having to figure out what to do to help your child, that's the hard part, not our children. And for all the people who watch us that are on the spectrum, 
I need you to know that's the stressor, not you at all. And I think that we as caregivers need to start being very mindful about this because I see how much it hurts our teens and adults and even kids on the spectrum who hear us talk about how hard it is and that it really hurts their feelings as if we're saying, you know, you have been hard. No, no, we love you. What's hard is we want to make sure we're doing right by you. And they've made it hard for us. And I don't even know who they is. It's a bunch of people. I'd like to have them step into a Cuisinart. I'd like to send them to play the Squid Game, right? Because doesn't it? Like I've been watching Squid Game and I'm like, this feels familiar to me in some way. And I think there's a parallel to being a parent on a spectrum because it's like there's rules and I don't know what the rules are and there's consequences if I don't do the rules right, right? So, um, you know, I I think first of all, it's important for us on behalf of our kids to be talking about our challenge, our challenges in this way. I don't even know what the right language is, but I, I want us, I want to be mindful of saying this on a regular basis. Um, that the that that when I felt like I couldn't go on, it wasn't because of my kid. Not at all, not at all. It was because I couldn't figure out what to do to help him. And that is different from him. He's amazing. And I've always loved, always loved every single hair on his head. But I felt this responsibility of, uh, it's my job. I'm his best advocate. And if I don't get it done, nobody else is going to get it done. And that was true. That's still true, right? But, um, but Instead of being weighed down by that, I found ways that I could be his best advocate, right? I still beat myself up about a fair amount of stuff, right? Um, but I think it's super important, and, and we're going to talk about it tomorrow night, to acknowledge that sometimes people get into a place where they feel like they cannot go on. Here's the most frightening thing, is that sometimes in our zeal to you know be the person who helps our kiddo we get into this space where we feel like we are the only person. Like I just said, I'm his best advocate. If I don't do it, nobody can. And there was a modicum of truth to that, but there's also a bigger truth to that, which is that there's a whole lot of people who can help our kids and we need to make room in our lives for those people. There are good people who want to support us and our kids emotionally, financially, you know, mentally, the whole, you know, physically, there are people who want to help. And there are people who can help. We know that. Now, it's not a one size fits all. The answers aren't aren't all in one place. And, you know, you might be like, well, I'm in Bayonne, New Jersey. Where's my person? Right? And it's not that easy, which is part of the crazy making part, right? Um, But I need for you to know that there are people who care about you and care about your kiddo. And we have to let go of this idea that we are the only people who can take care of our kiddos because that thinking that way is the slippery slope to very bad things happening. So I'm going to ask all of you to, to take a gut check today and see where you are. And if you ever feel like even for a fleeting second, I can't go on. In fact, when it's that fleeting second of, I don't know how I'm going to do this, that's the moment to get yourself some professional help. 
There is more help right now because of COVID than there ever was before. And I don't know how much longer it's going to last. You have the ability, almost all of you on the back of your insurance card and everybody's supposed to have insurance. And if you here in the United States, if you don't there, you know, it's very likely that there's insurance that you can get that is so low cost or free because everybody's supposed to have insurance. I know, see why I said supposed, because it doesn't always work out that way, but Sometimes you got to ask the question of the right person to find out where you get this. But on the back of your insurance card, there's a phone number that you can call for mental health. And most places are doing telehealth right now where you can talk on the phone, talk on Zoom. And most places because of COVID are doing it with no copay. So it's free. It's free, my friends. I've been doing it. When my friend Joanne Laura died, I got into a shaky, scary place. And I, I, I felt that thought. I was like, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know what the world looks like right now. I don't know how to keep my child safe. I don't know if I can do this. And then Joanne died and I was like, I cannot handle this by myself. And I called the number on the back of the card. And within 24 hours, I was talking to somebody on the phone and they became my receptacle that I could put all the things and, you know, work through them. And it's, I just got to say, it's been fabulous for me. And I want to encourage you guys to do that because we can't get to the place where if when it starts out, it's just the thought we can't get to the place where it's the crushing, pushing down. If you are there, please, please reach out. Please reach out. You know, we tell people it's, it's not, you know, I know people that have called the police in when it gets to that. Look, I'm going to say to you, do whatever you have to do. I would prefer that you go to a hospital and say, I need help. And if you have to, you know, you sit down in a chair and you refuse to leave um, and you bring your kiddo. And I know that sometimes that's hard. It doesn't always work out the way we want it to work out. Um, but there are so many, don't give up is what I'm saying. There are people that want to help you get to them. Um, call a friend and say, I need help advocating. Uh, you know, call, you can call 911 and, and say, I need medical help. Please say that it's medical help that you, um, medical and mental. It's so hard to think of, right? And the trust is hard. I, I'm, uh, good morning, Christina. I see it, it is so hard. Um, but I, Look, we see it in the news, what happens on a regular basis. It's the absolute unthinkable that, you know, I see parents that in in a moment of saying there's only me and only my kiddo and nobody else can do this, that they do the unthinkable and take their child's life. That is not acceptable. We have to be 100% clear. That is not acceptable. Um, That is you know, it's absolutely unthinkable. And I used to think that that was just certain people and, you know, that had nothing to do with anything. And I, then a parent that I knew and was getting ready to have on the show, um, did attempted that and thank God was not successful. Um, but our kids have a right to lead their best life. And if, and if we get into that mindset where we think we're the only person, uh, we got to ask for help. If you feel yourself thinking that you got to be strong enough to get your child someplace else, uh, we can never be the people who hurt our children. It's the rule. We got to make it the rule. We got to be in this together. Uh, right. Um, and you got to do whatever you can, but don't wait. Don't think, Oh, that feeling's going to go away. Get yourself some help. Start early, do it for yourself. Do it for your kiddo. It's what's important. Right. 
But again, I got to say to the, 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 my friends on the spectrum, you have to understand that is extreme mental, mental health. I'm not trying to diminish it at all. It's completely unacceptable. Anybody for any reason hurts anybody, you know, and tries to take their life. That's murder. There's no, we're not going to candy coat that. It's not acceptable, not acceptable. Um, but, but I want you to know that when parents say I can't go on, it's not because of you. It's because we can't get you what we know you need. That's the problem. You're not the problem. Um, and I, and I need for us to keep that separate. Um, uh, and, and I see Christina, you said I had trust issues when we were at children's hospital. I didn't want them to keep him safe. You know, and it's hard. It's hard knowing who to trust. But if we're not able to rise to the occasion, we got to find somebody. And that's really, really hard. Um, but don't, don't give up. Uh, don't give up. Sarah, I see that you sent in a question for uh, Temple. And I love that. We're going to keep that. I'm going to ask that question on Friday. So there we go. Um, thank you for writing that in. Hello, Dark Angel. How are you today? Uh, we're, we're winding down here a little bit, but, uh, does anybody have any questions about, I want to remind you again that tomorrow is the Ed Asner Ed Talk. Nancy and I are going to be there. We're talking about it all. We're talking about, you know, depression. Uh, we're talking about addiction you know, these are prevalent, prevalent things in our community because when we have feelings and we don't have any place to put them, it migrates to other things. Right. Um, and, and Nancy and I both have our own experiences of different things and we're, we're laying it all out there. So, um, anyway, uh, Christina says, I even went into the procedure room, LOL. They couldn't, uh, they couldn't help him like me. So they let me in. Well, that's wonderful. How did the procedure go? I know that you were concerned about the procedure. I'm not going to say what the procedure is, but how did it go? Are you guys doing okay? And did you get through it? Because that's as big of a deal as them, right? Uh, Dark Angel says, I'm out of options about teaching my three and a half year old. He seems to love flashcards. Well, you know what? That's spectacular. And there are some, I'm glad that the procedure went well, Christina. Um, you know, flashcards are great. There's nothing wrong with flashcards unless you stop with flashcards. Um, yeah, it, you know, like everything else, there's a progression, right? So when my son was little, we started with flashcards. Uh, and, you know, our intervention was done uh, by the Center for Autism and Related Disorders, highest quality ABA, right? And they used flashcards for him in the beginning because we were learning labeling. Here's the problem though. We don't want to, this, I always talk about this about starting with the idea of how we're going to generalize everything. So flashcards are great unless you go, well, we're just, we'll just do flashcards forever. That's not the thing. There's a progression to flashcards, right? That usually when we teach something, we want to teach something on a certain pathway, right? That we, we start out, we, first of all, we have to teach it expressively and receptively, um, but we go through what they call the verbal operants with something. So let's say that I'm going to teach somebody phone, right? And we, and look at some of the videos that we've done about discrete, uh, trial training that, you know, we, we would start out, uh, and, and maybe we would show a flashcard of the phone 
and say, you know, what is it? It's a phone. Um, but we would also teach it receptively where we would say, you know, touch the phone. And I could have a flashcard there and say, touch the phone. What's better, though, is if I show the flashcard and I say, what is it? And if he can say phone, yay, right? But then I want to teach it receptively. And, and I say, you know, touch the phone. And I have a real phone. I have the 3D phone. So whenever you're doing flashcards, you want to make sure that it, you have a plan to go to the 3D thing. We had flashcards that had animals on them, but then we had the little Fisher-Price uh, Noah's Ark set that had two of every animal. And so we would say, you know, hold up a picture of a lion and we'd go, what is it? And he'd say, eventually, he would say, you know, first we would prompt him, we'd say, what is it? And then we would say, it's a lion. Um, and, and eventually he would say lion and he would be reinforced for that. Right. But then, uh, you know, we would also have the 3d lion and we would touch the lion, but now we need to look at other lions and eventually we would go to the zoo and go to the lion place and point to the lions and cement it all together. So we don't just do the flashcards. You got to be working between 2d and 3d and in real life. Um, carrying that out, right? Does that make sense? So whenever you're doing the flashcards, start to think about, okay, so what did I do in the flashcard and how can I do that 3D? And then how can I take it from 3D into life? And you can do it all in one day and just keep cementing it together so we don't get stuck in flashcard mode, right? Um, so I'm trying to think of a, 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 another example. So Let's say we do dog and we start with the flashcard of the dog and we do dog. And then maybe I have a statue of dog. Then we go on a walk and we go, we're going to go look for dogs. Every time we see a dog, we're going to point and we're going to go dog, right? Um, and then maybe we go to a dog park and he gets to pet the dogs. And, and now we add other words to it and we go big dog, little dog. And now I get the book out that's go dog, go. And, and I say, point to the dog. Um, and there's a dog on every page, right? And and now I start to link dogs with prepositions. Where is the dog? He's in the bucket, right? So dog takes on all of these things, not just the flashcard. Does that make sense? Um, to ask him to touch seems very hard for him. I wonder if I should continue. Yes. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to be touch. It can be point to, but there's no reason not to do touch. So when we ask someone to touch something in the beginning, they don't, he doesn't have any idea what you're asking him that like, if I were, you know, if I was speaking Russian to you and I said, you know, I don't speak Russian, but if I said blah, 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 and that meant touch the dog, you would have no idea what that meant. Right. He doesn't, he doesn't know what touch means and, and what's in it for him really. Like, why do you want me to touch the picture of the dog? I'm not getting anything for it, right? So we have to make sure we give them a reinforcer for it. So what we do when we're starting to teach kids to touch, you know, for us, it was touch car. And I always make fun of touch car because they say it in that really weird, they go touch car. And I go, who talks like that? Nobody talks like that, right? But they're being very deliberate. It's not the last part of the lesson. It's the first part of the lesson. They're being very deliberate about it. Just like when we teach someone language, we sort of separate it out. So if I was going to teach you the Russian for touch car, I would articulate it, right? And I would say it in a way to make sure that you heard it. Uh, I got to find out now what Russian, uh, how you say touch car in Russian. But in any case, so to help them to make sure that they get to the reinforcer, what we do very gently 
uh, and we're having a good time and we're, you know, we're, 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 you know, first we got to sit in the chair. That's the first part of the lesson, right? And we tick and we go, good sitting in the chair, good job. So we make sitting in the chair with us to work fun. Gotta be fun because it's gotta be fair. And then, you know, we put out just the car um, and nothing else. And we say, touch car and like, and make it exciting. Like it's a good to touch car. And, and we very gently take their hand very gently and he may not want to do that at first, but we very gently, and I might have to tickle him or whatever to get his compliance. And I, and I get him to touch the car and I go, good job. Now, if he doesn't like loud, loud noises, I don't scream it, but whatever he does like, does he like to have his hair ruffled? Sometimes kids like to have their bellies uh, tugged, you know, um, tickled, or they like to be held and hugged. Um, or, you know, for some kids, you have to go to a primary reinforcer, which is a, a, a little tiny bit of their favorite food. I don't love that because I don't love tying it to food, but it works. Right. Um, so he goes, I don't really know what just happened, but I'm okay. And I actually like what just happened. And so the next time we go touch car and you'll find that when you very lightly take your hand and, and they, they touch car and you go, yeah. And they go, oh, I get it. Okay, you want me to touch the car. So the next time you don't put your hand all the way, you do it like as if you're going to touch them and go like that, but you don't actually put your hand on, or maybe it's just barely touching, right? And then eventually it's not touching at all. And then your hands are behind your back and you go touch car. And then when he does, you lose your mind and give him all the reinforcers that he loves most in the world. And then he learns, oh, okay, I don't really know why you like it when I touch things that you've said, but I get it. When you say touch, you want me to touch whatever that thing is there because I get good things when it happens. So, but in the beginning, if he's not getting anything for it, you know what? Like, it's not meaningful to him. It's not relevant to him. So we got to make it relevant for him. This is what Dr. Grand Pichet always talks about. We got to make it fair. If you're asking me to do something that means nothing to me, give me something give me a paycheck and it's got to be individual to him, the paycheck. Um, and then, then you do it. Right. So that's called a physical, a full physical prompt is when we're hand over handing it. And then we go to a partial, which is, you know, this, and then we fade it out over time, but we keep reinforcing it as we go through so that he wants to do it because what you're doing when you're teaching him to touch car, there's the two types of language, expressive and receptive. Expressive is when I can say what it is. So I hold it up the picture and I say, what is it? And he says, car. Great. He expressed it, right? Expressive could also be hitting the little tab that says it's a car. If I don't have vocal speech, I can do it through functional communication. But receptive is that I understand what you said it and I understand what it is. So we start with touch car because it's clear. Um, I can touch it. And in the beginning, there's only a car and he gets reinforced for it. We make it harder as time goes on. And eventually we put other things there. We stop prompting and he can tell the difference between touch car and touch pen. You know, and it takes time. It takes time. And it's a multi-step procedure um, this is why we recommend that people do the RBT trainings. Um, and I gave a resource last week. It's the autism. Do you remember what it is, Traven? It's the autism something foundation. I got to get Justin Leaf back on here to talk about it. They're doing, my understanding is that they're giving those RBT registered behavior technician trainings to parents for free. 
That's my understanding. Check it out. Um, but in any case, does that make sense? Um, yeah, I, I see that uh, Christina says um, uh, depression uh, and insomnia is what's going on right now. Night terrors. My little guy sleeps with his dad and I sleep on the couch because my brain won't shut off. I got to tell you, I love that Calm app. I have the same problem. I have terrible insomnia. Thank you, Amanda, for writing in autismpartnershipfoundation.org. Uh, thank you so much, Amanda. Um, Bradley, we get there together, right? Uh, we're in an hour now, so we got we got to get off. But I do want to say the Calm app, um, there's a free version, and you don't get as many things to choose from, but it still works. And then if you decide to pay for the membership, it's like $70 a year, which is a lot. Um, for me to pay $70 a year to know that I can sleep whenever I need to. And I just put on that Matthew McConaughey sleep story and I still haven't made it through the whole thing because I'm asleep and I'm a terrible insomniac. So, you know, uh, that's what's working for me. I know there are many things for other people, but I'm sending you blessings because that's, that's a hard thing. If you don't get sleep, man, your brain doesn't get time to refresh. It makes it hard prioritize the sleep thing. I love you all. Guess who's on the show tomorrow? Elaine Hall from the Miracle Project is going to be with us tomorrow talking about a new show that they've got coming out this week that is virtual. Anybody can watch from anywhere that's based on Barry Prezant's book, Uniquely Human. Human. So that's going to be tomorrow. Then Wednesday is Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen Grampiche will be here. Thursday, we have Bonnie Yates. And Friday... It's Temple Grandin live Friday morning. So I uh, appreciate you all so much. Thank you uh, to Sarah for writing in a question. I need questions from the rest of you. And we will see you tomorrow with Coach E, Elaine Hall. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>